Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Girl on the Go the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl and the Gov, the podcast. We are back with our regular scheduled programming with a fresh interview episode for everybody today, because last week we were rambling queens with our weird games that we played with <laughs> most importantly, our top stories of the week. So if you didn't listen to last week's, I think that honestly, the stories are like generally not too timely, That like they're too. I agree with that. They're not like so crazy. Well, they're some of them are crazy, but like they're not so old in a way where you're like, okay. Yeah, it's not like they're still worth catching up on. Yeah. It's like stuff that you should be in the know about. Things that did happen are happening, will continue to happen, type thing. And of course, our our games we played are just always evergreen and pretty heinous, some of them. So So go be entertained. I just Look, it's the Buck Mary Kill heard around the world. I didn't think our OG one from this past fall could be topped. And we did it twice. So if anything, if anything, just get that takeaway. I also will say, and I made a TikTok on this, it is literally like the perfect long weekend stuck in the car with your friends road trip game. But you know what I've been thinking about literally since last week? And like... You know, those things where you just kind of like LOL to yourself, like you think of yourself as just like a little too funny and you know no one else is going to find it as funny. If and I, like, I could pick a brand for you, it would be that. <laughs> this is like one of my best friends sent me, I guess when she first started watching the season of Summer House and she sent me like the Sam on Summer House's profile and was like, this is you. And then when no, she was literally. talking about how like everyone always thinks I'm too much, I was like, I am her. Oh my God. <laughs> Everyone thinks I talk too much and I won't shut up. <laughs> She's like, cries about it. it. So I'm like, literally Sam plus Sam plus Montauk. Like it's just all, all the Sammy things. We love um, to see it. She is my favorite. So it's like, yeah, I mean, she's, she's great. And she walks away with the hot man. So that is one of my favorite that couples. energy for you. Thank you. I'm honored. I honestly, I'm obsessed with them as a couple. I think they're so cute. Goals. But that aside, besides manifesting that into existence, everyone, I mean, go watch Summer House so you know who and what we're talking about. But regardless of that, so our guest for this interview is like one of her faves, her friend Devin. 
And you guys will notice in our conversation when I in, like do our like, you know, welcome in intro, et cetera, that I call the organization, which is me Vicino, me Vicino. And I have never like, Wait, did, I did you? it. I literally called it me Vicino. I pronounced it like it was Italian. Are you and sure? I, just... I have to run back the tapes. Oh, I thought you said it percent. It was like, you know, when you just keep saying it and you go, oh, shit. Like, I literally (laughs) said it, heard myself say it. And then she said it, like, later on. And I was like, oh, I really, like, I really did that. My one semester in Italy and the Italian class that I barely got to be in. And it paid off, but not really. Oh, for sure. Because the here's the thing. This is everyone's lesson for the day. Is the C-I in Italian is a G. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how you pronounce that. So I just, like, if I saw someone's name like that, too, I, I would pronounce it that way too and i just and here's the weird thing and i'm curious what is like the language that you guys in california take in public school do you guys take spanish yeah so okay so jersey is spanish but in vermont it's french i lived in new jersey moved to vermont and then i don't know how i made it through fourth and fifth grade because i took spanish those two years technically and then i I actually think we had a choice but i think most people chose Almost everyone chose Spanish, but French was the other option. Interesting. Well, I can tell you it's horrendous at French. Seems, um, and yeah, really should have taken Spanish really clearly. hard. But regardless, it's Nivacino, not me, Pacino. <laughs> I I will have to run back the tapes. I mean, I obviously um, will in a second when I edit this, but no, I didn't even think about that when you said it. And then when you text me about it, I was like, Oh, I thought you said it fine. But I'll have to go listen now. No, I it went I really channeled my inner jersey i you know just went full full send up that so mm-hmm. we also before we get into this speaking of full sense how was the birthday the birthday was good it was a classic 27th birthday where it's 27 you know like what's the what's the hoopla it was pretty chill on the day of just hung out with fam and then we went to take a party bus to shania twain the next day which was a blast we so basically all just like waited until the very last song, which was "Man, I Feel Like Woman," and it was it was so fun. And I haven't been on a party bus or to that concert venue in so long, so I'm glad we did it. It was a banger. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I don't know if I've been the last time I was on a party bus either. And I think about it, I know it used to be like a regular occurrence. I feel like for my friend group and. I guess we've just been too grown, but I was like, no, let's run it back. <laughs> well, I guess also too, like there's got to be like a destination. Like in the city, there's this thing called the chicken bus. And that's like, because it's like usually there's just like not really a destination with the party bus. Yeah, we have the same so, thing at Gilly bus here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like a fun, like ma- like they take like old school buses and shit and like make them fun. Yeah. yeah that's And we just go in such circles. A thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just a place where you can drink and listen to music. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That is Classic. so fair. Oh, my God. Wait, and also Shania Twain. I'm dead. I'm on side. I she is. I didn't know she was so performing. She's, like, annoyingly so hot, like, for her age. I'm, like, I re- the whole time I was, like, why is she hotter than me? She was wearing, like, this, like, two-piece, like, almost, like, underwear with, like, this sexy cheetah robe. And her body, I was just like, oh, my God. Good for you, girl. Good for you. She's gorgeous. We love mm-hmm. to see it. Also, now I'm going to like look up where she's performing. I literally didn't even know she was still performing. That makes me so happy. I know. I think this is like her last. Not her last. But like, I don't know that she has much new music, but it's like just her. But I feel hits. like her stuff, it's like more about like the hits and whatever. And if exactly. she puts out something. Actually, as I'm saying that, though. Like, think about, like, you know, like, Elton John did, like, a re-release yeah. of, like, a lot of his songs. And then the collapse, like, one was, like, with Britney and one with Duo. Yeah. Duo. Lipa. Du- Lipa. I'm really, I really want to say the other Duo one. Lupia. Never forget. <laughs> Never forget. Yeah. That's so, really if anyone, check out for when Shania Twain is coming to a, a city near you. And go have some fun. It was a good time. But... Speaking of Samantha saying things wrong, we should just get into this episode so everyone can hear her say me Vicino instead of me Vicino because we're speaking with the co-founder of me Vicino. Facts, facts, facts. So what we're talking about in this episode, just to get the lay of the land, two specific immigration laws that DeSantis just signed that are, he doesn't have broad implications economically and also for voting access in the states. 
really interesting conversation about those. And also, of course, then the classic GOP economics argument. So we're connecting the dots there. We're also talking about DeSantis as a whole in the run for presidency. We recorded this last week, specifically the day after DeSantis's little disaster of an Elon Musk combo collab announcement situation. Mm-hmm. And so we just like ran it back on that. And one of the questions that we asked Devin was, like, what is something as a Floridian, someone that works in the state doing voter engagement about DeSantis that people outside of that bubble might not know and need to know about him specifically and also, of course, in the context of him running for president? So yeah. I think that is a really important takeaway. And I'll let you know, it's the last question we ask. So you're going to have to watch the whole damn thing. You're yep. welcome. You're going to have a good time. It's literally like the essence of like girl in the gov conversations of having like real conversations about real substantive policy politics and so on but in a digestible way amongst people that are chatting using normal lingo and normal terms and all that stuff so always oh, is a but, relatable um, queen too so she fits right into facts. this into she this has team. the best nails have you ever seen her manicure so amazing yeah yeah I've been, I was looking She's because right now mine are so short because I was giving my nails a break. So I'm just like missing my long, fabulous manicures. So if it makes Anyways, you feel any better, you... I got self tanner under mine and it died like my cuticles. She needs to be careful with the hand tanner. I... It dripped. <laughs> well, anyways, anyways, let's get into this episode. Let's do it. So without further ado, here's Devin. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, Devin. Welcome to Girl in the Gov, the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you all so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be so much fun. We have so much to mm-hmm. chat about. And we are really going hard for Florida in this episode. Mm-hmm. And you are an expert in all the things. And part of that expertise comes from being the co-founder of an organization called Me Vicino. Can you tell us a little bit more about this organization, what you guys do, and also just how everything got started? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both again so much for having me. We were chatting earlier. I feel like so much of when I talk about politics is with people who are like decades older than me. So this is so Mm -hmm. exciting that I don't have to like filter and like try to use a different lingo. So basically, Mivacino is the first year round voter registration organization in Florida. We really looked to what Stacey Abrams accomplished in Georgia and basically just set out to have proof of concept, right? And just establish that year round organizing just basically talking to voters every single day in person was possible in Florida from two angles, one from the execution side, and then secondly, from the funding side. So a lot of the funding on campaigns, as you all know, is very tied to the campaign cycle. And so you have the on the ground parts of programs and parts of campaigns run on the 60 to 90 day before election day cycle, which has really snowballed into having a lot of voters, particularly in marginalized communities and communities of color, feeling like our politics is very, very transactional. 
The Republicans in Florida a while ago shifted to that year-round on-the-ground model, and it's been very successful for them, as you can see. In terms of how we got started, in 2020, I was the finance director for the Florida Democratic Party, and I was in a boiler room in Miami on election night, and with like all the top people, right? And including from the Democratic Party. And I kind of like watched in real time as the results came in and we all realized that we had lost and then everybody started reacting and shifting the blame. And mm. it was this group, it was these voters, it wasn't enough money. And I was on the phone with somebody I had met at the party named Alex Berrios, who's the other co-founder of Mi Vecino, and kind of had this like, oh dang moment. Like there is no one coming to save us. Yeah. There is no plan. And so yeah. it is up to us to step up. And I think a lot of young people have that moment, but like that was mine and Mi Vecino was was born out of that. That oh, makes so much sense. And also we could not relate more. It is mm -hmm. so wild to see the reactions to things and how it can be sort of a chicken with its head cut off vibe. We get tagged. This is such a this is such a tantrum already. We get tagged <laughs> in a lot of representatives social media posts where they like the idea is that they want us to repost it. Mm -hmm. And their whole MO is trying to create a blame narrative. Like everything is about not like, okay, well then what's the solution? What's the policy? And like, let's share that and let's have these podcasters, whatever, put that out there. It's like, no, this is a meme where it's just blame, blame, blame. And then again, no solution. It's like, okay, well that doesn't really help anyone. So we need people, we need activists, we need people like you actually doing this work and actually talking to voters. And I think it's always such a misnomer of why there are all these organizations that work to get people to register to vote, get them to, if they even handhold them to an election. But then after that, what happens? Like, what are those conversations then had with voters in between those elections? Why is there like this just, uh, what is like, not desert, canyon, canyon of <laughs> like nothingness? Like there, it's so odd. And I'm so curious what you found through your conversations with voters in terms of their reaction to things like that. Like, are they like, oh my God, this is the first time someone's spoken to me? Like, what is the sort of right. conversation? The biggest barrier that we face is that there is a severe lack of trust in the communities that we work in with the government or anybody official. Like, just think about what we know of the experiences of multicultural people in America with law enforcement, right? Like, with other people that work to protect, you know, the system and, and the government. And so when you register to vote, there's a few questions on the form that cause people to hesitate, right? You either need your driver's license number or the last four of your social security. And so every single day, our team is on the ground, they're on the ground right now talking to voters and making phone calls. We reach that point of the form where you're asked to give that information and the voter says, I'm, I'm no longer okay with this and they'll walk away. That happens to mm -hmm. us about a dozen times a day. And so when you have all of this perpetuated campaign cycle transactional nature of politics, it makes that interaction really hard to overcome. One of my favorite parts of the Mi Vecino program is a very common experience for us is that we are outside of the same supermarkets every day. We knock in similar neighborhoods every day and we'll interact with voters three or four times before they're like, okay, finally I give up. Like, I, I'm just gonna mm -hmm. keep seeing you. Like, I'll just register. Yeah. And so people know each other because they're a part of the community. All of our staff are hired from within the communities that they work. We recruited all of our staff at laundromats and fast food restaurants when we first started, just like traditional flyering, like $20 an hour who wants to work mm -hmm. and really trained and an organizing core from within these communities that we really wanted to register voters in. And that's kind of how we how we established that system and how we overcame that challenge. That's incredible. And so necessary. I think something too that I'm seeing across the board is like in especially these southern states, like the base expansion is going to be key. Like that's everything. And so we need that in Florida. We need that in Texas. We we we're doing it in Georgia. So continuing to see that type of work be done is super exciting. So we love that. But looking at Florida a little bit deeper, can we kind of look at what the political landscape is like? I mean, the state used to be a toss up, like every election we were like, who's going to get it? And <laughs> now it's become 
more red. It's become almost solidly red some election. So curious, like, is it as red as it seems? Is it redder? Is it bluer? What what are we looking at? Yeah. So I think the important thing to note about any election in any state, and I hope if people take away one thing from this episode, it's this, is that the question is not if a state is in play, if there's a path to victory, the question is what is the path to victory? And then how do I participate in helping to execute that path? Because Mm -hmm. it's never a question of if, it's always a question of how. And I know it's like so easy right now to read headlines about Florida and think this is literally the reddest state to ever exist, right? That's incorrect. So let's break this down from two perspectives. The first is the electorate and then the second is turnout. Let's start with the electorate. So a few things people should know about the electorate in Florida. The first is that Democrats used to have a half a million voter registration advantage over Republicans in the state. So Obama won the state twice in 2008 and 2012. And coming out of 2012, there were 500,000 plus more registered Democrats than Republicans. Obama only won by razor thin margins, right? In addition, Republicans were still winning statewide elections from behind with that registration gap at that time. That has now switched. So there are now 472,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats in the state. That's number one. Number two is we have something here called no party affiliate voters. It's very important to understand that these are different than independent voters. The independent party, the libertarian party, those are all registered parties with the state and fulfill certain requirements to hold that registered party status. Unaffiliated unaffiliated voters in Florida means that they do not want to be associated with any of those parties, right? Including the two main political parties. Mm -hmm. That has been the fastest growing party here in the last 10 years. To give you like the raw numbers to really put this in context, we've added about 1.2 million no party affiliate voters in the past 10 years compared to about a million new Republicans and only 150,000 new Democrats. Two things to note about the no party affiliate electorate. Number one, the majority of Hispanic voters in the state are registered as NPAs. So 38% of Hispanic voters here do not want to be associated with any of the parties. Secondly, youth voters are registering at mm-hmm. all time highs with the no party affiliates because they don't want to be affiliated with either party. And there's a lot of different reasons about that that we can discuss. Okay, second, let's turn to the turnout part. In 2022, Ron DeSantis kept his turnout very similar to his 2018 run. This is the biggest misconception. He had a higher ceiling because they had registered more Republican voters, so that accounted for some more raw votes. But his turnout percent of the registered voters that could cast a ballot was very similar. He won by such an incredible margin because A, 2 million plus Democrats did not cast a ballot and 280,000 Democrats who did vote, voted for Ron DeSantis. So when we look at whether a state is in play, as Democrats, we're so like focused on the reactionary and the feelings, so important to look at the math and understand that if we can get our turnout to just have people cast their ballots, as well as keep our people in our column, There's no reason why Biden can't win here. And you all know that the Biden campaign and DNC is already investing in Florida. They did two huge TV ad buys in Tampa and Orlando. We frequently talk with the White House and the DNC, and they have very similar math to us, which is basically when the no party affiliate vote um, by the right amount of percentage points and turn out your base and you could win. 100%. That is also so wild. How many people didn't turn out to vote. And I know it's not a new thing. I know it's not just a Florida thing, but there was something I was looking at the other day and I don't remember. Maybe it was probably Texas, honestly, but it was related to that concept. And I was like, what are you doing? If you've already registered to vote, I know there's so many barriers. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, you know, not give that the floor, but it's still just so wild to me. It's like, you're already so far ahead. You're already, you're registered. Right. Like, finish finish the job. Like, finish <laughs> the job. It's just crazy. And I'm curious from a Florida standpoint, if there are particular barriers that stop people from turning actually out to the polls. Yeah, I mean, our, like. our biggest, so there are the physical barriers and then there's the information. And so Florida, like very similar to Texas, that's a great example, has 
one of the most toxic political environments in the country right now because the parties are so polarized and both sides, right or wrong, like you can associate your own value add to that, are extremely viewed as extreme, right? Mm. The left is viewed as like the most left and the right is viewed as the most right. And so what that does is creates an environment where voters don't trust sources of information mm -hmm. from either okay. side. And so now all of a sudden where you used to have in campaigning, you have different segments of voters that you say, okay, these are low information voters, et cetera. All voters now are low information voters because they don't trust any of the media sources. Does that make that sense? A yeah. thousand percent. That makes sense. Cause it's like, what, like, what can you take from anything that you're seeing? Yeah. And you also and get stuck fair. in your, your spiral totally or fair. your, not your spiral, your silo. And it's hard to get out of that silo. Mm -hmm. Although I will say on TikTok the other day, we were served these Jeeps that were doing big mudding dives in Louisiana. And I'm really not sure how we got there. So every <laughs> once in a while, you My can get out page of has silo. been a little weird lately, too. It's not been as curated. I'm a little upset about that. But uh, well, we mentioned Ron DeSantis. Let's talk about that aspect of Florida because... DeSantis is the governor. How do people feel about him in the state? <clears throat> Speaking of extreme, like he is extreme. So curious what kind of the sentiment is among the people of Florida. We'll also obviously get into this presidential run that he just yeah. announced. But overall, as governor, what are what are the vibes? So it's not stagnant, right? And the most frustrating part of not having a massive on the ground coalition is that when he is vulnerable, there's nobody to deliver that message. So I want to talk about a year ago, because we just had the, the anniversary of the shooting in Texas. Last year, when that happened, we were on the ground the day after. It was some of the strongest anti-DeSantis sentiment I'd ever seen. Wow. The bulk of voter registration that has been done in Florida have been done by 501c3s. Basically, those are your charities. So think like anything that you give to like animal shelters or etc. They're strictly nonpartisan. They legally cannot have partisan conversations with voters when registering them to vote. We are a 501c4 at Mivacino, which means we can connect some of what these voters are feeling with policy. And I want to make it clear that we never tell people what to think or what to do. And that is why we are so successful is because we don't do that. But when somebody comes to us and says, I'm terrified, I live in fear every single day because of gun violence. I'm so scared when I drop my kids off at school. I came to this country escaping regimes like in Venezuela, El Salvador, et cetera. And I came here for this feeling of freedom and I work so hard and I, and I can't get out of this mindset of being so scared. Mm -hmm. If we are then able to say, did you know that not everywhere is like this? If we're able to say, did you know that Ron DeSantis is allowing this fear to fester and develop because he is pushing a permitless concealed carry. So any criminal, any bad guy can carry a gun, which is only going to make you feel even more scared. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. And then it's like a light bulb. The problem is that we don't have the scale in the state to mm -hmm. en masse connect that with people. Another great example was the Disney fight when he started that about a year and a half ago. He was extremely unpopular. What happened was when we got up to the election, the campaigns that were running here, if you go to look at like Ron DeSantis, I'm such a nerd. So I'll like look at everybody's <laughs> expenditures. I'm like, oh, what are they spending <laughs> yeah. their money on? Ron DeSantis's top expense from his campaign account was a canvassing program for $8 million in the state. Okay. Charlie Crist, and this is Again, I don't want to be like not spreading any negativity here, but he spent 75% of his budget on TV. And so you don't have, like, how do you have a, a connection with a voter if you're investing in radio or TV, right? Mm -hmm. Not to say that those aren't important, but just to say that this not the personal connection. Mm -hmm. And so all of this is to say that he has been vulnerable at multiple points. If there was just nobody to deliver that message. And right before election day, like 48 hours before E-Day, we were doing our phone banking and over 50% of the Democrats we were talking to were undecided as to who they were voting for in the gubernatorial and the U.S. Senate campaign. Wow. Insane. Yeah. We see that, like, 
in some of these big campaigns, especially Democrats, that just big money spent on this these TV ads, um, this paid media. And I'm curious if you just think there's like a lack of investment in like just getting people on the ground having those conversations. Definitely. There it's mm-hmm. like a void. And what's frustrating about it is that we have the evidence to show that it worked. Everybody looks at Obama as like the pinnacle of what organizing, effective organizing looks like on the Democratic side. And then we don't invest in that type of organizing. And then we expect to have similar results to what he had. Yeah. Totally. Yes. I feel like that's just so weird, even from like a business perspective, you have proof of concept. So it's like once you have proof of concept, then you like replicate it and then you scale it. You constantly do that over and over until that system breaks. You have to then innovate again. So just so odd that it's like, why wouldn't you just, if it were, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And uh-huh. it's like, okay, let's just go a different route. My thought on like the Chris situation, who we actually interviewed, and I totally forgot that that was like literally last year, yeah, like right. 10 centuries ago. Like I genuinely can't even begin, but like. I feel like he probably also relied on the fact that maybe people knew who he was previously. Like, oh, well, you were governor, so the name recognition. And it's like, obviously, name recognition gets you far, but not far enough, especially given how much population growth you guys have had in the last few years, especially since the pandemic. It's like so many people moved to Florida have never heard of Chris. So, right, yeah, doesn't matter that you know. But nonetheless, back to DeSantis for one last question before we get into... A few of the heinous, dare I say, bills <laughs> that he has put his signature on. And I just think as we're having this conversation about him as governor and now running for president and being best friends with Elon Musk and having their own little like sword fight Shit of storm. sort. Yeah, I was going to say crossing of the swords, but that <laughs> works as well. <laughs> what should people know about DeSantis? Like, what do you feel like it's like as someone that lives in Florida, organizes in Florida, that you really see there that someone at like a national level or not even national level, just in another state might not see or be privy to. Totally. So DeSantis actually follows through. And that's the number one takeaway about him as a candidate. Last night was a freaking disaster. His website, if you haven't seen it, y'all go Google rondesantis.com. It looks like a fifth grader made it. There are not periods at the end of his sentences. It literally says, I'm running against Joe Biden, give me money. And then like donate buttons and like, <laughs> stop. I'm looking at it It's right so now. bad. It's so bad. So it's very easy. And like his weird laugh, his really weird sounding voice, it is so easy to just write him off as a freaking weirdo fool. But he follows through. And so we're finding out what it looks like when all the promises and bigotry that Trump promoted actually become law in Florida. So I want to talk about a few different things. First is property insurance and homeowners insurance has is three times the national average in Florida right now. So you had um, an average about two years ago of, you know, $1,900. The average here now is like 4500 And if you go on TikTok and like look in comments on some videos about this, like you'll see people sharing their real experiences. And it's like absolutely horrifying, like $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 a year that this has been raised to. Second is we pay some of the highest healthcare costs. Florida employees pay the highest healthcare costs in the country. We also have a housing crisis here. And what he's doing with driving our workforce out of the state, like key immigrants, he's crippling our economy. And so looking to Florida as what he wants to do for the United States, when you're thinking about how you're going to vote or how involved you're going to be in raising awareness for these candidates, you just need to look at what he's done here to understand where he wants to take the country. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's like a mini roadmap. Yeah. And that economic message is so, so key. And I think it's going to be going to need to be the message the strategy across the country but especially looking towards florida i mean i think the sentiment too is everyone's like escaping to florida for these lower taxes whatever people think they're gonna just like save all their money but painting that economic picture of honestly not only desantis but these other gop candidates up and down the ballot too of like they don't have economic solutions for you and so i think painting that picture is huge also i just like looked at this website and they're spinning this Twitter thing. The announcement that That's crashed the internet. <laughs> Classic. We well, look, I think that is kind of like an interesting spin that they're trying to like Kim Kardashian it. Like they're like 
yeah. oh, let's trash the internet because like to think of it like that's what like your conservative uncle is seeing when he goes to Rhonda's like he's like oh my god it was so popular crazy broke the internet and he's probably not going to actually even listen to the conversation yeah no it's it's going to be this primary is going to be post combo edit so interesting like, I wonder like if there was like a post-production moment for that I know people are getting fired over this like mm. this level of incompetence on so many levels of this announcement really laid bare and and solidified the critiques that he's already receiving that he's not ready for prime time he did Mm -hmm. it on twitter in this way because i'm not sure if you all know like stuff about desantis but basically casey desantis runs the show she is brilliant she's smart she's a former reporter like tv news reporter anchor from jacksonville area and she's pretty she's put together and she is smart as a whip desantis is terrible at making eye contact making conversation like seeing other people as like human and like responding organically and so clips are going to continue to start out if when he gets on the campaign trail of him like walking into a small business or whatever and he's Mm -hmm. like you'll start to see it people like he'll be like oh what's your name And the person will be like, oh, I'm Sammy. He's like, great, great, great. Okay. You know, and he's like, not, he's not there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's why he did it on Twitter. He's not ready to be on TV and like react accordingly and be charismatic. And so he tried to hide in this way and it just backfired on him. Yeah. But it's interesting too, because Trump is not that either. So it's funny to see, it'll be funny to see them also interact together at that debate stage. Different strategy. Like, Trump doesn't care if he's, like... I mean, charismatic in his own way, like, his own bullshit. He's just, like, flying from the seat of his pants. Like, DeSantis camp clearly trying to think of a strategy and execute on it and know their weaknesses and be aware of them, whereas Trump's just like, oh, give me a mic and I'm going to say whatever. (laughs) Yeah, and I also think, like, we say DeSantis is so dangerous because he's almost, like, he's not as front-facingly heinous as Trump in some ways like so he is a little more dangerous that he could kind of pull some of those more middle of the road traditional Republican voters but yeah if he can't hit the mark on you know being a candidate a viable candidate in that way and being charismatic then he could lose those voters that's definitely something that he needs to work on and it's gonna be (laughs) interesting to see But getting into some of this legislation we mentioned, we are going to get into our I have a stupid question segment because policy is confusing (laughs) and we have so much to talk about here. So kicking it off with SB 1718, so DeSantis recently signed this into law. And so we're curious first and foremost, like what 1718 even does. Yeah, sure. So something that happens in sessions, like what we just saw in Florida that are highly consumed by the public and a lot of people are tuned in and like national media out- outlets are really reporting on it is that they they track these bills and they write about what's in the bills at the time. And so all of this information gets out there, which is good. Information is good, right? But then the versions of the bills that pass don't necessarily include everything that was talked about. And that's what really happened with SB 1718. I went to Tallahassee to lobby specifically against this bill. I met with legislators on both sides. The provision that I was like just laser focused on was basically this part of the bill that would give somebody 15 years in prison and a $10,000 fine, second to third degree felony, depending on the age of the person, if they were found knowingly in a space with somebody who's undocumented. There's a million and one reasons why this is like absolutely horrific, but a few to highlight is There's a lot of families in Florida that have mixed immigration statuses, meaning they have kids who were born here, but they were not born here and are not here with papers. And so somebody could be driving their mother to the grocery store, get pulled over and then spend 15 years in prison. In addition, this really targets like churches and community groups that serve these populations. And like I go to mass every single Sunday and like I know there are a bunch of different. It's a very diverse congregation, I'm knowingly putting myself in that space for my faith. Mm-hmm. And then I could spend 15 years right in prison. And so that didn't make it all the way through to the end. And so that's the, that's the type of thing that they're kind of lays the groundwork and foundation for a lot of misinformation. So I just want to focus this section on 
some of the pieces of misinformation. So the first is hospitals. So what a lot of people believe about this bill is that hospitals are now required to report the immigration status on all of their patients. That is partially true. But they do not, when you come in, they don't take all that data and immediately report it to the state. Two things. One, there's going to be a form of the question when it asks your immigration status that you can check, I prefer not to answer. So deep breath on that. Secondly, if you do choose to answer, they report that quarterly to the state and they report it in an aggregate. So they're not like, Maddie, do, 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 is this person, et cetera, with this immigration status and they report it. It's we, you know, treated and served X amount of people who were residents, TPS recipients, undocumented people, et cetera. So if you have family in Florida or you know folks here who are in communities where this is like an impact, that's like a one piece of true information I wish that people knew because there's a lot of fear and like people need to seek yeah. treatment and like you cannot be scared to go seek treatment. That's very, very important. Secondly, and probably most importantly, because this is what's all over the news, is the e-verify part of the bill. Basically requiring employers, employers with 25 employees or more to use this online system called e-verify, which basically makes it impossible to hire people without papers. So what you're seeing now are job sites completely abandoned. You're seeing agriculture fields completely abandoned. Our team on the ground, and I've seen it firsthand, just like immigrants getting into vans and driving across the border to Georgia and California because they can no longer work here. So obviously, like there's two parts of this. One is just like the humanity part. Like this is just so against our values as a country and is so heartbreaking to see. The other part is the economic impact. So we already have astronomically high housing and rent prices. And now you have all these new developments that are completely at a standstill because the cementers, the painters, and if you guys want to see this footage, you can go to the Mivacino Florida TikTok. And I posted a bunch of videos there and even have some folks who were brave enough who are undocumented to come on camera and gave us permission to post, like just showing us what's going on. Yeah. These people are leaving and, and farmers are losing millions of dollars in profit because their harvests are literally just rotting in the sun in the fields because there's nobody to, to harvest it. And so you're seeing these food prices already go up. So a great example is one of our staffers told me this morning on our call, we were like checking in. She was like, Devin, a cucumber today, one cucumber this morning was $1 and four cents. And two days ago, I went to buy it for my son and it was 64 cents, right? And so we're starting to see that creep up and this is all related and interconnected. Wow, wild. Trying to think of which route to go down, <laughs> you know? I mean, glad to hear the hospital perspective, a clarification on that because when mm. I was reading the bill and reading up on it too, I was a little confused what that really meant and I could see that just being so scary. In terms of the economic effects, who do they think is going to then step up and take on these jobs? Like, what was their plan? Was there a plan? Okay, yeah. I mean, it's all like... It's this political issue of like immigration and what they what it looks like to their base, right? Like I'm hard on immigration. I just did this. And then all of the implications and everything that comes after that, they don't think about. So, Maddie, that's really important because when everything happened with him putting these Venezuelan immigrants on a plane last year mm -hmm. and shipping them to Martha's Vineyard as a political stunt. Every single headline that I read coming out of D.C. and New York was, oh, no, this is going to kill DeSantis, blah, blah, blah. I was on doors. Like, I was talking to people and our team was talking to people. Everybody was pretty unanimously united in the fact that this was a horrific thing to do. Yeah. But they did not arrive at the same conclusion. People are so sick and tired of politicians just freaking talking. Mm -hmm. And DeSantis is someone who takes action. And so you don't necessarily have to agree with an action to be, that's being taken to be able to understand the value of a politician who is acting. A lot of people feel fear around 
the border and people coming into our country and what that could mean for the safety of our communities and our families, along with the magnification of the economic anxieties that we already feel, okay? (laughs) DeSantis is framing himself as somebody who's like leading that war on Mm -hmm. keeping Americans safe. Lost are the facts that we don't have a border. Yeah. Okay. Lost are the facts <laughs> that that one's pretty simple. Irrelevant to us, right? Like you can get a visual for that one. It's called right. a map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, like DeSantis is smart, right? Here's the bottom line: he doesn't do this shit without polling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's not going to sink himself. I think he did get a little in a little too deep with Disney. I don't think that he knew that Disney was going to take it as far as they did. But he didn't start that war without knowing that it wasn't going to hurt him overall. Yeah. yeah. Well, moving into another bill that Ron DeSantis put his name on, SB 7050. So can you give the run through of what, what this law does? Yes. So this is a great example of what we were just talking about, where Republicans introduce something. They don't quite know how it's going to go. They watch it play out. They take what works and they come back the next legislative session and they make it worse and they take the holes and they fill it in the next legislative Mm. session. So this whole thing with 7050 started March of 2021, SB90. That was their first voter suppression bill under the Ron DeSantis administration. Mivacino was the only organization on the ground at that point in Florida. And so there wasn't a lot of folks who could speak to like what this meant. This bill became effective immediately. And it had all of these new requirements for vote by mail. Remember how we were just talking about the social security number, driver's license number for voter registration forms? So before, when you registered to vote by mail, you could use either of those numbers and it would be valid. The really tricky law that they pass at SB 90 that very few people know about is when you register to vote by mail now, you have to use the same identification number that you used when you registered to vote. So if you registered to vote 30 years ago and you're going to enroll in vote by mail, do you remember if you used your driver's license number or your last form, your social security number? No. No? Like, I couldn't tell you what I ate for breakfast yesterday. Like, nobody remembers that, right? So this made it so that supervisors of elections don't have to inform voters that their vote by mail didn't count. That's on each individual supervisor of election to see if they want to put some of their budget towards that. And just to give you an understanding of like what budgets look like for supervisors of elections, Palm Beach County is one of the richest counties in the entire United States of America. Only 1% of their budget goes to the SOE. Mm. So they don't necessarily have unlimited resources to let voters know all of these different things. Yeah. So that was SB 90. They imposed all of these fines, et cetera. A great example, we turned in forms that should have been fined. So basically this made it so that if I registered a voter voter in Broward County, but they lived in Miami, I used to be able to drop off that form wherever. And this is very important for Florida because there's a lot of cross-county travel to work because housing prices are so expensive in urban areas that people often live like an hour away from where they work and they commute. Yeah. SB 90 made it so that you have to drop off that voter registration form to the supervisor of elections in the county where that voter is registered. So now every single week, Mivacino has to mail voter registration forms to like 12 different counties across the state. Okay. I dropped off forms incorrectly. I had been doing voter registration in Point Siena, which is in between and has zip codes in both Polk County and Osceola County. This is in central Florida, probably 30 to 45 minutes from downtown Orlando, Disney. And so I dropped off two forms that were supposed to go to the Polk County SOE to the Osceola SOE. And I put them over in the counter and I gave them to them. And then I'm sitting there, I'm like, shoot. I got Adamant. And they wouldn't give them back to me. So But guess what, guys? I never got fined. You want to know why? Because the legislature just passed the bill. They had not figured out who was going to issue the fine, which staffer and department was in charge of it, where that money went once you paid the fine. So then they came back the next legislative session, and you want to know what they did? They figured out all of those details. Not only that, they raised the fine cap 
to $50,000 a year per organization like Neva C-Note, which means you can have all of this sticky note right here tells me exactly every single thing that needs to be on the back of every voter registration form that gets dropped off. One of those things is wrong, it's a fine. So it made it so that you could get up to $50,000 a year in fines, but then it capped. You could keep getting fines after that and it wouldn't impact you, you wouldn't have to pay them. SV7050, you wanna know what they did? They raised that cap to $250,000 a year for organization. They find out what works and they come back and they run with it. Mm -hmm. We were able to overcome every single hurdle from the first SB90, the second, which was SB524, and we are working on SB7050. We're suing Ron DeSantis over this bill. We're suing him because he has made it illegal with a fine of $50,000 per interaction for anybody who is not a US citizen to handle a voter registration form. My staff does voter registration every single day. 75% of my staff are not US citizens. They are legal, came here, quote unquote, the right way. Mm -hmm. Immigrants who are residents in a citizenship process or who are TPS recipients, they no longer can do their jobs. So my staff is very bravely stepping forward as plaintiffs to sue Ron DeSantis over this. Wow. That uh, is nuts. I just, I mean, we're not good at admin. I mean, uh, we could be worse. We could be worse. We're worse at math than admin. But it is <laughs> so scary how, and I, I get why they're doing it, because it is scary. Like how a tiny error that could just be human error could get you in such hot water that you are standing there going, is this worth it? Like, is the juice worth the squeeze? And that's exactly. just... So nuts. And I like to your point about like, do you remember if you registered with your social or with your driver's license? Like New York, while well, obviously light years better in terms of voting laws that I would say clearly Florida right now, you have to match your signature. And every single time I've gone to vote, like my signature, as you get older, gets messier and messier, messier. You get oh. less of a shit. And I remember last time I was there and I did some signature and they're like, are you sure? And they literally thought I was committing fraud. And I had to think back to myself. I was like, what was my signature like when I was 18? Like, what was it? And I literally had to think about like, oh, I was overly into cursive at that point. I had stairs <laughs> and then I redid it. But I was like, literally just like pulling things from the back of my memory, trying to think about that. And yeah, I it's kind of rude. They like, don't oh. just let you evolve and change your signature. Like, what How if you just want to be better? No, seriously. I mean, do you want to make a cuter but... one? You can't do that. <laughs> Messed up. Well, guys, I literally, I don't know how I like passed like the second grade because I refused <laughs> to like do any of my work. I just wanted to pra like practice my signature and my handwriting. So, like, did it pay off for you? Like, do you have yeah. good handwriting? Oh, uh, well, yes. Yeah, well, okay, I did. And then I have to say, like, the whole like just being on our phones and being like. Right. You know, computer savvy, whatever has totally killed it. And we were doing notes for our gov clubbers setting stickers. And I was like writing them out because I like to send handwritten notes and still like old school stationary uh -huh. person. And I was writing out like, like, thank you so much for being a gov clubber, like that type of thing. It looked like the most heinous chicken scratch disaster. It was like, how did we come? How did we get here? How did I lose this entire skill? It is not like riding a bicycle, which I also cannot do. It does not stay. <laughs> like that is yeah. what I have that to say. Stuff is, that. Yeah, the admin is so stressful. But another part of this law too that we're curious about is this requirement for background checks to be conducted for volunteers. Can you explain that? So <laughs> like I have, so again, our lawyers are involved. I am mm. trying to figure it out, but they're also trying to figure it out because the language is so freaking vague on purpose so yeah. that they can just decide what they want to enforce and then enforce it. So if I'm being like honest with you, that's the part of the bill that I'm like least concerned about because most organizations like, and most employers do a background check, right? In addition, like you expect that when you apply for a job. Yeah. So it's it's more about like the volunteer part. And like, that's yeah. still unclear for me. Like, we don't really use a lot of volunteers because we're very like all of our staff are paid. And most yeah. of the volunteers that we do have, it's like a little weekend canvas thing. That's like a joint thing. And like Alex and I are volunteering our time. Like I'm driving up tomorrow to Central Florida to like host a training in canvas. But it's like I'm paying for the gas for a Vecino bus and like it's all in my own time. So it's like, again, unclear 
as to whether or not I personally need to like do a background, you know, but there's so many like smaller orgs probably that like do, you know, base their, all their work on volunteers. And I feel like this would be such a hurdle. Yeah. Honestly, it remains to be seen. Yeah. And also too, like, just even like as like small business owner, like you always want to like dot your I's, cross your T's and better to like be on like the right side Mm -hmm. of things. And I feel like even when it's like a, when it's vague, then you're inclined to just do it to make sure that you can't get in trouble for it. You're like, it's not worth the the potential fallout of not checking something off the list. But then thinking about, especially for an org that's trying to fundraise and doesn't have a lot of budget, the cost of then doing a background check eats into budget. It also eats into, eats into time. So instead of talking with voters, you're conducting more HR admin things, yada, yada. So interesting. I think what we need to sort of cap it off on, though, is talking about building power and building more of these conversational spaces in Florida. And I'm curious, Mir and how you think, you know, we do that. Like what, and also too, from someone not in Florida's perspective, how can they help being out like external to the state? Yeah, absolutely. So a few things. The first is that Florida has a history of passing very progressive ideas on the ballot meaning that they get over 60% of the vote. And so a great example of that is we raised the minimum wage to $15. Mm-hmm. We passed medical marijuana. We restored voting rights to over a million folks who had served time. And there are two ballot initiatives for 2024. The first is the legalization of marijuana overall. And the second is getting abortion on the ballot. So I want to talk about that for a second because something that SB 90 did was unenroll every single Florida voter from vote by mail. And the reason like that that was a thing was because Democrats win the vote by mail vote. Didn't always used to be the case. The GOP used to dominate vote by mail. Democrats used to win in-person early voting. And then Republicans would be Democrats and turn it on election day by about five to seven points. That's pretty average, right? That that switch in the last few cycles where Democrats really leaned into vote by mail, invested heavily, and really turned out a lot of voters there. So I give this example to say that they try to take away every advantage that we have. And so to not get discouraged when you see all of this, because what it, what it means is that what we're doing is working. Enrolling mm-hmm. millions of Democrats into vote by mail worked. We turned yeah. out more of our voters that way. That's why they attacked it. Medical marijuana, or sorry, this is just actual marijuana legalization. They are... They've collected 850,000 signatures to put this on the ballot. They're like 50,000 signatures away. You want to know what the attorney general did? The city attorney said that the language she doesn't think is in line with what's legal to get on the ballot. So now they're trying to block it. And you want to know why they're trying to block it? It's because in states where there was a legalized marijuana ballot initiative, turnout was 5% to 10% higher. And guess who those voters were? Right. Young voters. Yeah. So she's looking at that as a threat. She's trying to take it away. So when you look at that, don't look at, wow, there's no hope. Look at why are they doing that? Exactly. So the same for the abortion ballot initiative. I will get you all the links. You can like post it when this live goes live. But yeah, this just happened a few weeks ago. We need over 900,000 signatures from every single district of the state to get abortion on the ballot. It's absolutely critical. This is going to turn out more of our voters. And this is one of the factors that when you ask, is Florida, like, is there hope here? Like, yes, with this Mm -hmm. type of stuff on the ballot, with Biden investing and the White House investing, with people really starting to pay attention and turning the feelings that they have into action, of course there's hope. You all also can volunteer with me, Vecino. As I said, I'm doing stuff like every single weekend. I have a bus. It's the shuttle bus that I bought. I'm not going to tell you what year it's from, but I wrapped it and it says voting together on it. And we drive it around and we play music and it's AC. So I will like drive you to doors and like drop you off. Right. And you can go do a few doors, come back in, cool off, go to it again. Like if you're in state, like please go to mevacinoflorida.com and just go to join us and hit volunteer. We pay for everything. Like just come have a good time and experience it because once you have a positive experience, it's like so much less scary. Like think of all the things that you have like anxiety of like on a daily basis and then you do it and you're like, 
first yeah. of all, why was I putting that off for like three months? Like that was a phone call to the doctor. It was like yeah. three minutes. Oh my Fine, God, right? you're literally looking into my experiment <laughs> to do less today. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's like that, right? Like just do it and then you'll understand and you'll see the impact and you'll like experience something positive and you'll want yeah. to do it again. So to answer your question, there's a lot of different ways to help. Abortion, marijuana, sign up to volunteer with me, Vecino, and look at every headline and story from a very intentional mindset. Why are they doing this? Ask that question. If you don't know why, then Google organizations who work on that specific issue to see if they can give you some insight. 100% and don't write off Florida. And don't write off Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing and the Florida run through that we needed. So thank you. Of course, thank you all so much for having me. It was good to chat. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit radiobeatsbeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.